0: Welcome to the Energy Nerd Show, powered by Synapse Energy Economics and Climable.org. Energy Nerd Show. Hey, Jeannie. Yeah, bro. Who's our guest on the Energy Nerd Show today?
1: Today we have Steph Spears. Welcome, Steph. Thanks. Steph is the co-founder and CEO of Solstice, and we're really excited to hear what Solstice does.
2: Hi, Steph. Hey. Good to see you all.
0: Maybe uh, we can start by telling us about Solstice.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So Solstice was founded on the belief that everyone should be able to be powered by clean energy and it should be affordable. So Solstice deploys community solar, and we connect households and businesses to shared farms somewhere in their community. And we have software that handles the customer experience for the life of the 20 to 25 year community solar project.
1: That's exciting. Do you work all over the nation? or Are you focused on certain geographic areas right now?
2: So we have 54 community solar projects across six different states at the moment. And those states are targeted to be the community solar states that have allowed for legislation to be passed that allows for households to do community solar. And those are a few of the states that have passed legislation across the country and more and more are passing legislation to allow people to benefit from community solar every year. And and by deploying community solar, we're trying to create a future in which clean energy works for every household, regardless of your income, regardless of your credit score, and regardless of any other marker of privilege. So we think that every household would be more inclined to take part in the clean energy revolution if they just had the chance and the opportunity and we make it our job to create those opportunities.
1: I love the sound of that. I love your mission. Climbable is the little nonprofit that I founded and we want exactly the same thing you want. And our mission is fulfilled through communication, real good plain language, access to what's you know, what's out there, what's available and what people can do. So anyway
2: Which is so important. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's so exciting to hear hear what you're doing. I'm curious first off, how do you make sure that these projects are affordable? I mean energy burden is a huge problem for a lot of folks. And a lot of these clean technologies are just tough to you know, make sure they pencil for people.
2: So you're right. It's only one out of five Americans that's able to put solar on their rooftop. And the rest of us, four out of five Americans, are locked out of the solar marketplace because a lot of reasons, they're a renter or a condo owner. There's a tree covering their roof. Their roof is facing the wrong way. It's made out of the wrong materials. And then there's the income aspect that you need to be able to pay up front for solar or have a high enough FICO credit score that allows you to access financing to pay pretty substantial amounts, anywhere from ten dollars to $40,000, depending on how big your rooftop and electricity usage is. So it can be prohibitive, and it's why The vast majority of solar that's been built on people's homes have been going to affluent homeowners and not necessarily the people that need solar savings the most. Like you said, a lot of low income and marginalized communities have the highest energy burden And they disproportionately bear the burden of climate change as well. So, you know, low-income households spend 3x their income on energy costs compared to the median spending of non-low-income households. So the people who need solar savings the most are the least likely to get them. And there are a few reasons uh, and ways that we can make community solar and clean energy more accessible one of the best ways is to hone in on that FICO credit score problem I mentioned earlier. It's a little known fact. A lot of the energy nerds will already know this, but little known fact for most of America is that you need a high FICO score to get access to solar and solar financing. And that's not just with rooftop solar, that's often community solar projects too, where financiers are demanding off takers households, households who are benefiting from the farm, also have a high credit score. Do the two of you know much about the history of FICO credit scores and how it gets started and what plays into that by any chance? I wouldn't I wouldn't say we do, no. Okay, just making sure I don't, I'm not going to bore you here. But FICO was invented in 1956. You know, it's 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 supposed to be the objective measure of credit worthiness, and it writes people's destiny in America. You know, it, it determines whether you can get a mortgage, an apartment, sometimes even a job, and also it determines whether you can get solar. But it shouldn't, because half the country doesn't have a prime credit score as defined by a score of 680 and above. So half the country doesn't have a 680 and above, and we're getting rid of half the country from accessing solar. but. FICO doesn't measure a lot of things. It doesn't measure whether you pay your cell phone bills on time. It doesn't measure whether you pay your rental bills on time. It doesn't measure whether you pay your utility bills on time. And so Solstice created something called the Energy Score, which is a more inclusive and accurate metric that is meant to replace the use of FICO credit scores in energy with the aim of creating a more inclusive qualification standard that benefits more low-income households and traditionally disadvantaged and excluded populations to finally access clean energy for the first time. The energy score is based on a bunch of metrics, including your utility repayment history, which we think is a better proxy for whether someone's going to pay their utility bills on time, and is a better proxy for whether someone can take on the financial risk of energy efficiency product or rooftop solar or community solar. So the energy score is more accurate at predicting who pays their bills on time. And it's a more inclusive of low income Americans than would have been qualified under FICO credit scores. Cool.
0: So um, with your model of community solar, I'm curious kind of who owns the project and how do you kind of, you know, sort of like, what are the risks? It seems to me they're different from kind of regular, you know, uh, consumer credit?
2: Yeah, so in general, with community solar, the owner of the project tends to be the people who paid the upfront cost of building the project. So the asset owner will either be the developer themselves, or the developer will sell the project to a long-term asset owner. So essentially, a financier owns the solar farm. And that's what allows community solar to be Free to participants. There's no upfront cost, and our customers are saving about 10% at least on their electricity bills. In some places, we are actually able to offer much higher savings. For example, our projects in Illinois right now are offering low-income customers 50% off their electricity supply rate. So. The beauty of community solar is that it is a guaranteed discount for consumers in most places across the country, except where utilities sometimes implement the programs themselves in regulated utility areas. But... In legislative states that have passed community solar laws, it's a guaranteed discount, and the owner of the farm is the financier. And that allows for households that don't have the ability to pay up front to participate for the first time and get free electricity savings, and that includes low-income customers that can't do rooftops. That's great. Jeannie and I did our solar
0: project uh, 15 years ago when it was stupid expensive. But solar is inexpensive now. All kinds of benefits.
2: It's so exciting that as of 2017, it's now the cheapest new source of electricity. And it's only a matter of time where we phase out the losing financial proposition of of fossil fuels. But, you know, obviously for a while longer, fossil fuel companies are pushing to have their domination in the energy market continue. So A lot of it comes down to good organizing, building a clean energy constituency, which what do we mean by when we say clean energy constituency? We mean expanding the number of people in this country that finally benefit from clean energy. And once you start benefiting from clean energy, you become an advocate for it. And you advocate for laws to be passed that have pro-clean energy stipulations. And you also advocate for climate policymakers to get into office and create climate-friendly policy. And the problem sometimes in America is we haven't had a clean energy constituency because the number of people who benefit from clean energy are so low. So a lot of what we're trying to do and make it more equitable is create that clean energy constituency and build power for renewables.
0: That sounds great. We've had guests on the show who talked about the Inflation Reduction Act and the subsidies and tax credits. I'm wondering, with your projects, would kind of the developer of the project or the owner get those credits, but then presumably uh, pass them along and the prices charged to the community participants, or kind of how, how would that work?
2: Yeah, so there's actually a lot of wait and see from developers on the treasury guidance that's supposed to be issued in the coming months around IRA implementation. But as of the guidance that was issued in mid-February, it looks like there's a bunch of tax credits that are specifically categorized according to how they benefit low-income communities. And you can get adders to the base-level investment tax credit. If you have benefits for low income communities, and those categories include being cited on native land, being cited in a low income community, and having the project benefit low income communities. And those benefits could be jobs, they could be actual participation in clean energy projects, as well as being cited on federally subsidized affordable housing. Those are some of the categories in which you get 10 to 20 percent more of a tax credit on your projects if you're the developer. And that's on top of the 30% investment tax credit that was cemented in the IRA and on top of the potential 10% domestic content tax credit that talks about getting your supplies for the project from domestic sources in, in made in the United States. And then that's on top of the 10% energy community tax credit that could be available. So if you do kind of all the math, you'll definitely get at least 30% tax credits and then up to 70% tax credits. And so these projects are extremely lucrative for developers, and they should absolutely be making sure that those benefits get passed along to communities. One Failure of the IRA is the the constraint around direct pay, direct pay being what environmental justice communities were trying to advocate for instead of just tax credits, because tax credits can only really be utilized by folks who have a high tax burden, which tend to be folks who are very wealthy and low income households can't really take advantage of tax credits, nor can tax exempt entities like You know, nonprofits and municipalities. And so one thing the IRA did was make it easier for nonprofits to benefit from something called direct pay, where they get the tax credit in the form of a grant, instead of um, not being able to take advantage of the tax credit. But individuals don't have that option either. And so that's why it's so important that Treasury guidance that's coming out really make sure that the benefits are actually flowing to low-income communities, because you have the danger that they stop at the developer and financier level, and they don't go to communities. We've seen that happen with trickle-down economics in the 1980s. That didn't actually flow to marginalized communities. We need to make sure that happens going forward.
1: That's great. This is so exciting. Do you find that it's easier to work with the same developers over and over, or are there certain folks by state? I'm wondering if, you know, I bet there are a lot of different values that you want to consider when you, when you look at these projects and you look at who's building them and who's benefiting from them?
2: You know, what's really exciting about what the IRA incentivizes around community solar is that it incentivizes developers to build a lot more community solar and make sure it goes to low-income customers, which is great and has prompted new developers to come into the space. So to answer your question directly, we have had, you know, the same customers for multiple projects across the country, but we're also getting new customers reaching out all the time saying, hey, we heard that you do community solar. We heard you have a CSAT score of nine. We heard that you treat customers well. We heard you do low income inclusion. Can you help us on our projects? And these are developers that had either never done community solar or had done it in the past, but realized that it's much harder to do customer enrollments and management than they thought, and they're looking for a partner. So we see new customers all the time, as well as we have recurring customers.
0: So your message to developers or potential developers is call you, you can help in terms of do more projects. And if they're going to do a good project that benefits low income communities, they should talk to you.
2: I mean, we'd be happy to talk to them. A lot of how we have gotten customers in the past is we just try to help developers understand the policy and the program implementation across different states. So every state, sometimes down to every different utility, has different ways of implementing community solar. We help developers understand the program's implementation on a ground level. How does crediting work? How do you interact with utilities? How do you retire your recs? Those kinds of questions, we help them understand. We're happy to continue helping anyone understand just how community solar works, as well as understanding how they will implement the climate bills, provisions around low-income inclusion, and how they can do it effectively. Because my background is in community organizing. You know, Solstice was started because we wanted to make sure clean energy was accessible, particularly for the most under resourced among us. And there just needs to be a lot more cultural translation between the people who want solar and the people who want to sign up for community solar and the people who are building the solar.
0: So we've been talking about the people building the solar. And then if, if someone's watching the show and they're not a solar developer but they are excited about this, what specifically should they do?
2: They can go to solstice.us and sign up for any of our active projects and add their name to a wait list to put up their hand and say, I want community solar when it comes to my community. Another thing we do to try to make energy more equitable is we do a lot of policy advocacy. And so when we see there's been a concentration of a bunch of people in particular areas across the country that want community solar, then we help advocate for community solar legislation to be passed in those states as well. So it really is helpful, even though there's no active project in your state because your state hasn't passed legislation for it, add yourself to the wait list. It helps build a movement around making sure clean energy is more accessible and that your only option is not just rooftop solar, because that doesn't work for a lot of people. To be clear, if you're one of the unicorns that can put solar on your roof, we say that you should, you'll save more money over the 20 year period. But community solar is a great option for people who cannot do that.
1: I have one more question for you. How does solstice get paid?
2: So we never have anything charged to the end user household that's signing up for community solar. We just get paid by the developer who is building the solar farm and think of them like a commercial real estate developer. They're very good at getting permitting and interconnection and building and constructing the farm. But generally speaking, they have no idea how to go out and enroll thousands of households at a time. They don't have software to manage the customer's billing or crediting process or interaction with the utility And so if they're the commercial real estate developer, that's really good at putting it in the ground. We are the customer management entity that works with developers for the 20 to 25 year project and making sure that the household customers and the commercial customers that we sign up for these projects have a good experience, get their credits on time, and handle any other customer service questions. So developers pay us to manage the project for them. And we take it under our guard to go out and make these projects as inclusive as possible and go out into communities and try to do some community organizing to get people excited about solar in their backyard.
0: Do you get involved in or would you get involved in other kinds of distributed energy resources or microgrids or maybe even like heat pumps and EVs?
2: So one of the recent developments at Solstice is a few months ago, we were acquired by MyPower. MyPower is the North American subsidiary for Mitsui. Mitsui is a large Japanese company, been around since the 1600s, immaculate reputation. And they're in pretty much every industry in the world, but investing heavily in sustainable infrastructure. And in North America, they want to invest more in the growth of clean energy and renewable technologies. And so a few months ago, they acquired Solstice as their residential energy company. And with their support, Uh, And with their additional resources, we're able to expand in different parts of renewable energy beyond just community solar. Our goal is to actually solve the climate crisis and have an impact on it. And that requires getting the vast majority of Americans on clean energy in the next seven years, according to the U.N. So there's a lot more work to do. Um, and we're partnering with other companies in those areas that you mentioned for future product offerings.
1: So congratulations. That sounds like really big news.
2: Thank you, thank you. We're very excited and um, you know very, very appreciative of the support and excited to continue growing Solstice in the years to come. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, you know worries. Good to chat with you all.
1: Really nice. Really nice to hear about Solstice and all that you're doing. Thank you so much. See you, Steph. Bye.
0: Check out the show notes for visuals and links for more info on the topics discussed. You can find the Energy Nerd Show on social media pretty much everywhere at Energy Nerd Show or on our website at energynerdshow.com. Thanks for listening.